Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. This will certainly have an adult theme and might well contain strong scenes of sex or violence, which could be quite graphic. It may also contain some very explicit language, which will frequently mean sexual swear words. What do you like listening to? Um, <laughs> chart music. <laughs> chart music. you pop crazy youngsters and welcome to the latest episode of chart music the podcast that gets its hand right down the bottom of the sofa on a random episode of top of the pops i'm your host i'll need them and with me today are simon price hello and taylor parks hello boys the pop things the interesting things that's what i want to hear about i'm all right i'm just uh, just continuously infuriated by the insistence of my local tube station on commissioning installations by the kind of artists whose work, uh, to use the term loosely, consists (laughs) of them writing a sentence and sticking that on the wall. It's not art, is it? It's just a sentence which invariably is crass and shit. And aside from anything else, I take it as a professional insult because yeah. we're talking about the kind of, you know, silly slogans and random thoughts and scraps of like half-baked sub-poetry that I or or you or any other half-decent writer could puke up between courses on a yeah. overcast Thursday. And as The an, sort of thing you rattle out on Facebook first thing in the morning and go, no, that shit, worse. delete it instantly. Worse. And as an yeah. actual writer and a penniless writer at that, I object mm. to it. I say, mind your own business. I don't pretend that I can draw. Um, so you overprivileged bastards keep off my lawn because mm. unfortunately for me, I lack the necessary upper middle class arrogance to think, hey, it's all creativity, isn't it? There's uh, no, no limits on my self-expression. And do the equivalent, which would be to draw a stick man and a house with a curly line coming out of the chimney <laughs> in biro on a bit of paper, blue tack it up on the wall and say, all right, London Transport, that's £25,000, please. And mm. I hope that penniless, underappreciated painters have to walk past it every day and look at it and go, oh, isn't he a good writer? Yeah. Fucking shameless cunts. Seriously. I say, Go back to your million-pound garrets and pretend to starve. Yeah. No, I feel your pain there, Taylor. Ugh. The one thing that really fucked me off last decade, amongst all the other thousands or so things, was coffee shops with the fucking A-boards just writing shit on them. Ugh. The day that we, as a people, start picking up those A-boards and throwing them through the coffee shop window is the day that we'll <laughs> finally start to be free. Yes. Fuck them. I know exactly what Taylor means, right? Um, it's just as well Taylor doesn't live in Brighton, <laughs> for, for a number of reasons, actually. But um, particularly um, on, on Brighton Beach, um, just above Madeira Drive, on the kind of concrete wall, this, this inscription in huge, um, I think they're copper letters, that some artist was commissioned to put there maybe about 15 years ago. And it says, I have great desire, my desire is great. that's it and it's been there for fucking ever and it just makes me furious Mm. every time i see it yeah it's no a finger of fudge is just enough to give yourself a thrill (laughs) is it really (laughs) simon you've not been on for a while and that's wrong how you been yeah all right um a bit of turmoil going on i've got to move house uh, which i yeah it's it's a total pain in the ass i really didn't want to but the landlord is selling from underneath us which is you know just one of those things it's just you know the the uncertainty of being one of the renting millions Mm. um 
but yeah, we found a new place um, pretty much immediately, but it's more expensive, um, uh, which is a total ball ache. Um, but the good news is, and I needed this good news because of the more expensive new gaff, um, I've got a book contract. So uh, you know, at last, yeah, after 20 years out of the game, I'm back in the book game. Good Lord. Um, yeah, I'm not allowed to say what it's about, but it's a it's about a band, um, a very famous band. Not one that I'm particularly associated with, I'll say that, but you know, right. I'm, I'm, I'm glad of the work and uh hopefully the first of several let's say that because um the way music journalism's going at the moment i think that's probably the sort of most solid way forward is just to churn out books you know well good luck with that simon yeah cheers man yeah i actually watched the story in 1989 last night oh yeah well done mate yeah yeah <laughs> i didn't watch it when it was on because i was around my mum's and i just thought oh no i can't i can't be doing with this can't be doing with my mum saying oh you're not holding your mouth right <laughs> and yeah what a fat cunt I am nowadays is the, the main takeaway I got from that. It was co- well, I wouldn't say that, but quite horrifying. At least you didn't get your cock out in front of a, a distinctive fireplace, you know. So yes. small mercies, small mercies. Yeah, because you thought I, I was Sean Ryder, didn't you, Simon? Well, I was just scrolling through it, and there was this bald bloke, and I thought Al doesn't look that bad, surely. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then no, again, no. at the same time, Sean Ryder sat at home going, "Fucking hell, look at the state of me! I didn't even know I wore glasses nowadays." <laughs> Poor sod. Yeah, I hope it's the first of many for you. I hope you're on a few more of these, uh, you know, story of the year going forward. Well, I, I hope other members of Chart Music are on them, you know, not just me. Yeah, I mean, sure. the downside was, yeah, I looked like a barrage balloon and my best lines were left on the cutting room floor as they always are in these Always the way, yeah. The upsides were, I got the word rambling on BBC yes. Four for the first time ever. Uh, and you could see my teapot on the shelf that's shaped like the Queen's head. That I got from QVC for a fiver years ago. <laughs> Everyone talks about that teapot, so I was I was glad it got a bit of a shine on the yeah. telly. You're on a one man mission, aren't you, to uh, to popularise Nottingham dialect around the UK, mm. as well as that uh, Nottingham kind of um, earthenware, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, the thing about that teapot is everyone thinks it's brilliant, but then they get really disappointed when they find out that the tea doesn't come out of a nose like it should do. Oh, fuck's sake. When I got it about, God, nearly 20 years ago i was going to turn it into a bong but i just couldn't be bothered in the end but i wish i'd have done now that would have been good yeah and the most important thing of course was it had i'll need them chart music podcast which is what i wanted so yeah punch the air well done. when yeah. that came out and it helped us get to number one in the music commentary charts for the uk on get apple in. so yeah the job was a good one well played yeah so hurrah for us mm. yeah well, I wouldn't want anyone to think that I had no extracurricular activities going on, uh, or indeed <laughs> curricular activities going on. So I'm going to plug my crowdfunder. I'm uh, mm. looking to crowdfund a movie project, um, mm-hmm. trying to persuade Sean Connery out of retirement to <laughs> play James Bond one last time uh, in the Never Say Never Again 2. Um, right. Full title is uh, full title is Never Say Never Again Two Colon Never Say Never Say Never Again Again. Um, <laughs> don't tell Mister Broccoli, but I think we can make this work. I mean, it won't have the big budget, obviously, or the glamorous locations. But I don't think people want that anymore. No, times are changing. Well, realism, whole, don't they? There's a whole new generation out there. You know, you, you got to get with it. Um, I've already sounded out a few uh, few potential stars. Um, yeah. we are, you know, we're looking at some some very well known names. I'm uh, hoping to cast Bendover uh, <laughs> as Blofeld. Um, currently in talks with uh, the fantastic Mister Tumble um, <laughs> for the role of Jaws. Very nice. popular with the younger set, I'm mm. told. Um, for the love interest. Uh, that all-important Bond girl. Uh, well, let's just say for now, it's a mystery what that <laughs> Bond girl's going to be. But I can tell you that information wants to be free. And <laughs> when it is, I'm sure there'll be some thunder in the mountains. Oh, so, man. Uh, yeah, well, if any You're of the listeners You're going to turn the movie industry inside out with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if any of the listeners want to chuck in a couple of thousand... Uh, mm. We'll put the link on the website. Um, yeah. And, you know, if it doesn't come off, at least you contributed to uh, something 
which could have been great. <laughs> as as Mr. Bond himself would say, be sheing you. <laughs> and talking about collecting the crumbs off the table of the general public, you know that we don't do anything in chart music until we stop, drop a knee, and give thanks to the pop craze Patreon. Here are a list of the people who joined us since last I read out a list of Patreon people. In the $5 tier, we have Rich Henderson, Buttock McScrutock, Mark Brennan, John Davis, Robert Fish, Laura Lean, Rory McNamara, Brian Smith, Alex McKinnon, Peter Hedden, Robin, Karen Keere, Joe O'Donnell, Paul Whitelaw, Nick Duffer, Johnny Keere, Slang King, Doug Grant, Matt Verrill, Christopher, Richard Hansen, and Gary Lactus, and the beast must die. <laughs> In the $3 section, we have Ray McNamara, Ian Laver, Dean Minchin, Tom Apps, Andrew Lowe, Bobby Sutton, Lisa Cassidy, Ashley Davis, Mike Atkinson, and Fenton. Oh, thank you so much, you lovely, lovely people. Yeah, legends, a lot of you. Can't you see? It's the chemistry. You really must agree that together, chart music and the pop craze Patreons are beautiful. Beautiful. Mm. And of course, one thing the pop craze Patreons get to do is to rig the latest chart music top ten. Hit the music! We've said goodbye to Pig Wanker General, Quo Waddy Waddy, and Taylor Parks' 20 romantic moments, which means four up, three down, and three new entries. A new entry at number 10 for the old sailor. Another new entry at number 9, ATV Eyes. Up two places from number 10 to number 8, Working class youth of Newcastle. <laughs> Last week's number two has dropped four places to number six, Lesbian Door Factory. Up one place to number five, Bomber Dog. Yes. Up from number eight to number four, here comes Jism. Yes, into the top three, and it's a one-place jump for Dave D, Creeper, Twat, and Cunt. Last week's number one has dropped down to number two, Jeff Sex, <laughs> which means... Britain's number one. This week's chart music number one, the highest new entry, Noel Edmonds' Gas Disco. <laughs> oh, man, a new era has arrived on chart music. Yeah, it's chart music, a new decade. Yeah. New entries. The old sailor, obviously, is the old sailor. ATV eyes, what are they all about? Uh, yeah, just ten minutes of cat noises. <laughs> and Noel Edmonds' Gas Disco, the new number one. That's intriguing, isn't it? Uh, I reckon it's kind of like a novelty house, a novelty rave record in the vein of uh, Mr. Wazo, Flat Eric, you know, that thing. Steampunk house. Oh, fucking hell, that's going to happen this decade, isn't it? Mm. So if you want all of this episode right now without someone telling you to buy shit, buy our shit by taking your little fingers over to the keyboard and tapping out patreon.com slash chart music. Go on, do it. Yeah. So, Pop Craze Youngsters, this episode takes us all the way back to January the 24th, 1980. Which is shockingly 40 years old, man. That's terrible, isn't it? Jesus. Yeah. We are now as far away from this episode of Top of the Pops as this episode of Top of the Pops was from the beginning of rationing in the UK. (laughs) The first ever Tom and Jerry cartoon and the release of Gone with the Wind. In the immortal words of uh, Leonard Rossiter in Rising Tab, been on rations ever since. Yes. No such thing as the permissive society. I should know. I've been looking for it. (laughs) So, yeah, why are we doing this one? Well, I just thought, you know, it's a new decade. It's a fresh start. It's a turn of a page. Uh, fuck that, let's go back to the Aventis, because I like it there. Well, who doesn't? You won't get any complaints from me, yeah. Except the unemployed. 
Mm. So, yeah, we've done recently, we've done 1979, we've done 1981, we praise them to the skies. And, you know, we touched upon the reasons why 1980 weren't quite on that level. So I thought, let's go back and examine yeah. it with a, with a BDI. In a way, um, as we'll see, January 1980 is basically a continuation of 79. Yes. Um, it's a lot of the same good stuff. but um, Thankfully, no Christmas shit, though. True, yeah. Um, I think there was a bit of a sort of um, backlash against all the exciting new stuff that happened in 79 in 80, where, mm. to some extent, particularly in terms of the number one records, the sort of mums mm. and dads and the grands and granddads took control again with some big yeah. kind of uh, middle-of-the-road middle number ones. If I'm not mistaken, it was things like um, Crying by Don McLean was that year, yes. was it? And uh, There's No One Quite Like Grandma and all that mm. kind of stuff. So, yeah, there, there was a lot of that kind of very saccharine middle-of-the-road stuff that had us you know, pop crazy youngsters as we were at the time, tapping our feet with impatience, waiting for something more exciting. Yeah, in every sense, uh, but the one we're considering today, it, 1980 was one of the bleakest years on record, wasn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's like, in its way, yeah. bleaker than 1975. Um, possibly less bleak than 1340, but we can't be absolutely sure. <laughs> uh and at least back then, they're the people were happy what they had. Yeah, you know, they just you know yeah. they're happy with their. Well, love. I mean, at, at least in thirteen forty, there'd have been a bit of fresh air. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember nineteen eighty, and even at the time, even as an eight-year-old kid, you know, sort of uh, full of all the joys of childhood, I remember thinking it's a bit shit, isn't it? It's a bit bleak. Things are a bit bleak. Mm. I remember it being a really cold winter. I think we talked about that before, actually. Yes, um, and uh, you know as. Uh, you know, this, this this episode is bang in the middle of that winter. It's, yeah, I I remember writing an essay about the special second album for Melody Maker um, mm. for that for that book we gave away called uh, um, Unknown Pleasures. Yeah. And in that, I I went on quite a bit about just the general sort of bleakness of 1980, and you know there was the Russians invading Afghanistan and all that kind of stuff, and yeah. um, uh, unemployment was starting to kick in big time under Thatcher, and uh, yeah, there was there was just this sense of everything turning turning wrong I, I tell you what it makes me think of um you know um the film boogie nights uh mm. there's um they, they basically use the tip over from the 70s into the 80s as this kind of plot device this is kind of watershed um in the film the new year's eve party is essentially this moment where from then on everything starts going wrong the porn industry shifts from cine to video and mm. everyone starts getting hooked on cocaine and it all spirals downwards and in my own innocent 12 year old way I I think and I hope I'm not sort of projecting backwards but I, I think I felt a bit like that I had mixed feelings the 1970s was home as long as the year began with 197 mm. I knew where I was you know yeah. it felt more like a leap into an uncertain future even than moving into the 21st century moving into the 21st century yeah. I wasn't bothered but there was something about moving into the 80s which was kind of scary also exciting mm. but it's like we're not at home anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I remember being really upset that it wasn't going to be the 70s anymore. Yeah. Because, I, I, like you, I was very comfortable in it. I mean, my memory of New Year's Eve 1979 was my dad coming back from a New Year's Eve do at the pub, and it was the one and only time i ever seen him drunk enough to vomit in the toilets. You're not going to forget that in a hurry. But luckily, the music's good. Yeah. This is a decent episode, isn't it? No spoilers, but there's not a lot of shit in this episode. Yeah. I'd give it a good sort of a solid 7 or 8 out of 10 in terms of the content, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're a discerning man, aren't you, Simon, when it comes to this sort of thing? I am, particularly for this era, yeah. So let's get stuck into it. Hello, my darlings, it's me, Anna Man, actress, singer, welder, gotta have a backup. I've been in everything, my darlings, and I've been cut from most things. However, I will not be cut from one thing, and that is my own podcast, Talking to Actors with Anna Man, where I meet those rarest of creatures, the actors. That's Talking to Actors. Look out for the new series starting soon on The Great Big Owl. So what's in the news this week? Well, Andrei Sakharov has been arrested in Moscow and has been exiled to Gorky for six years. The official Iranian news agency has claimed that the Shah has been placed under house arrest in Panama. 
Jimmy Carter does a bit of fish shaking at Iran over the hostage crisis and has a go at the USSR for invading Afghanistan in his State of the Union address. Six American diplomats pretend to be Canadian so they can be smuggled out of Tehran. The merchant ship Athena B is beached on the sands of Brighton and the local electric railway starts operating out of season so the locals can have a goss at it. I didn't know about that, that's amazing. Yeah. 23 and a half million people watch Live and Let Die on ITV, the highest ever audience for a film on television ever. World in Action broadcast an episode claiming that Louis Edwards, the chairman of Man United, has made under-the-counter payments to parents of promising players and has cut shady deals with local councils to provide meat for school dinners. Never. Before before he had a chance to sue Granada, he died a month later. The Rubik Cube is introduced to the UK at the British Toy and Hobby Fair in Earl's Court. Where's Captain Cook by Spiz Energy and Dirk Wears White Socks by Adam and the Ants are the number one single and LP in the first ever UK independent charts. But the big news this week is that Paul McCartney is about to be released from a Tokyo prison after nine days after customs officers found eight ounces of weed in Wings's tour luggage. You, you must remember that. Yeah. yeah, in fact, it kind of it became this kind of comedy thing that you know it was permanently associated with him i remember when pipes of peace came out Mm. we all we all humorously sang smoke the pipes of pot yes (laughs) because that's that's all that's all anybody my age knew about paul mccartney's been done for drugs i I do recall quite a heated conversation on the school playground right about this time over whether the army should be sent in to get him out (laughs) i mean this was before the sas because it would have been oh yeah send the sas in they'll get him out easily yeah but yeah, it was not a good year to be an ex-Beatle, was it really? Terrible. They had a shocker, a lot of them, yeah. The other thing that jumped out on that is the independent charts, because, you know, at this time I was starting to dip into the music press. And the idea that there was this chart and there would be at least 40 bands, 40 more bands you've never heard of. And you'd just be looking at them going, oh, what, what the fuck are they like? Well, that was a great thing about Smash Hits. Um, they, yes. They had that page, Bits, um, which was sort of like mm. all gossip and that. And then they had independent bits, and it would have the independent charts, and it would basically be kind of sort of John Peel Festive 50 type stuff. And you'd look up and down it, and these bands like Swell Maps or whoever, you had no idea what they yeah. sound like, sounded like. But, you know, your mind yeah. would start racing and trying to imagine. It was, exactly. it was, it was an education, really. Yeah. Yes. The thing that jumped out at me about that little rundown was the Rubik's Cube. I mean, who remembers the Rubik's Cube? Ain't nobody. Uh, nobody ever talks about the Rubik's Cube these no. days. Do you know what I would do, right? If I was making a CD of the best of the 80s, I reckon, right, I would put I put a Rubik's Cube on the front because that would... No. That, yeah, and if I was doing an 80s club night, let's say, you know, yeah, like a Rubik's Cube flying towards you from space because that's <laughs> such a forgotten thing. It's a forgotten memory, yeah. but it would really be hauntological and trigger so many Proustian memories in people. (laughs) Yeah, uh, sarcasm, lowest form of wit. (laughs) On the cover of Melody Maker this week, The Pretenders. On the cover of Smash Hits, Sparks. The number one LP in the UK is Pretenders by The Pretenders. And over in America, the number one single is Rock With You by Michael Jackson. And the number one LP is The Wall by Pink Floyd. So, boys, what were we doing in January of 1980? The thing is, we've covered this era, the late 70s, early 80s, which I prefer to call the late 70s, early 80s, um, <laughs> a few times. Um, but I'm aware also that we have lots of new listeners um, uh, yeah. via our um, hookup with the lovely people at Great Big Owl and uh, being yes. on platforms like Acast and, and so on. Um, so uh, for you guys, I'll just very quickly recap and, you know, apologies for repetition to everyone else, but I was being educated slash incarcerated for free, um, oh lucky me, in a fifth-rate boarding school in Sussex where my mum had landed a job. Uh, we did not come from money but you know that was the whole deal i had to go with it um and it was such a third well third rate fifth rate i said i'm going to stick to fifth um mm. it, it let's say fourth okay Average. go fourth it, it was uh it looked like a kind of 
minor stately home. In fact, um, it was uh, later used in a, an episode of Only Fools and Horses as a, as a location, as a, you know, a oh. kind of stately home. I don't know if it was the not one, the chandelier. It, one. Might, it might have been the chandelier one, but cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, anyway, it was definitely used in Only, Only Fools and Horses. Um, but it was a, it, it was a place where, just to give you an example of the kind of things that went on, um, a maths teacher called Mister Willie um, would stand oh, no. would stand and watch us shower after games with an inscrutable smirk on his face, uh, just to make sure that we cleaned ourselves properly. Of course, mm-hmm. um, it's a place where, as I mentioned before, you'd be beaten for wearing the wrong colour plimsolls in the wrong part of the grounds. Um, and uh, where all our letters home were pre-read and initialed by a teacher just to make sure uh, we didn't make any spelling mistakes. And when I tried to sneak an unchecked letter through to my dad telling him how brutal it all was, I was beaten for that. But on the plus side, I had a year's head start in French and I learned a bit of Latin. Uh, so, you know, uh, swings around of us. Uh, we weren't allowed to watch Top of the Pops. So um, yeah. a, a lot of these episodes that, that you know, we, we look at from this time, I have no actual memory of, of them. Uh, pop wow. music was essentially banned. It was like like We Will Rock You the Musical or Footloose or something, you know. Um, <laughs> my, my, my main contact with pop music was uh, secretly recording Top 40 on a radio cassette on a Sunday and reading Smash hits and at the time this episode was broadcast i'd have been in rehearsals for the school play uh which Ooh. yeah which was the tempest and uh i no. yeah and i was i was in the lead role as prospero so like um a, a middle-aged man uh so which you know i was 12 years old required a bald wig and lots of prosthetic makeup i could probably just carry it off now without any but um <laughs> the thing is i i was uh, now all your pals are overthrown well done mate yeah. yeah, I did. I did the Tempest a year later. All right. Well, as mentioned before, who were you? Who did you play? Trinculo the Jester. Were you? Yes. Of course you were. That suits your personality yes. big time. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was struggling not to stutter through my lines. You see, because I had a speech defect, oh, which was exas- exacerbated by being turned into a nervous wreck by the very teacher, the headmaster's son, who was directing the play and who once hit me so hard round the head that I thought my head was coming off. And I actually had to rewrite Shakespeare in my head because the word I struggle with the most was the... And any sentence no. that started with the, I had to sort of rearrange the syntax of it so that the came a bit later in the sentence. Mm. And it took quite a lot of doing. But anyway, yeah, you know, rose-tinted spectacles, golden years, jumpers for goalposts, marvellous yeah. stuff. Uh, and you know who else was in The Tempest round about this time, don't you? Go on. Uh, playing Miranda. Oh, not Toya. <laughs> oh, yes, Toya. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's a crowdfund there. Me, you and Toya doing The Tempest. Hell yeah. Yeah. Taylor was Caliban. Yeah. <laughs> what, 1980? I was, yeah, I was just walking around sounding like Gemma from West Bromwich out of the Oakham customer testimonial, which is the best thing on YouTube. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah, a masterclass in uh, effortless spontaneity. Um, you'll know what I mean if you see it. Um, in fact, I'd video playlist. Getting a bit, getting a bit self conscious about my. Uh, yim yam accent that's uh, endured <laughs> through years after neil of all people chided me last time for this yeah but the problem yeah. is that i'm a massive accent sponge myself um mm. so day to day when i'm walking around like where i live you know i sound like a costa monger um it's only <laughs> when i get on air and i'm talking to people from the midlands that it slips back within two seconds you know it's like good it's like having sort of hs2 vowels zooming up and down the proposed route between euston and new street um but it's what happens when you have a a persistent regional accent which midland sort of is you know what i mean because those vowels it's like chocolate on corduroy it's hard to get them off um <laughs> so uh in in 1980 did you you basically sounded like jess phillips <laughs> who i think is a breath of fresh <laughs> air i i think she, she she's an ordinary person and she talks to ordinary people in a language they understand which is also what i've always thought about yeah, you taylor you see i didn't because i was one of these people like they used people used to laugh at me when i was a kid for not having a sufficiently strong west midlands accent and then can you imagine what happened when we moved down south? Oh, the irony of it. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's the, the thing is, I do still have a bit of that accent, but not that much in day-to-day life because the truth is when you've lived in London for more of your life, you start to sound like that if your day-to-day existence involves being with people, 
right? Mm. You know when you get, like, actors and writers and stuff who've, like, lived in London for fucking 40 years, but they still sound pure Doncaster, Mm. And people talk about it like as if they're like working class heroes or something. No, it's because they don't mix with local people, mm. right? Whereas if you spend all your time on buses and in boxing gyms and down the one-stop shop. And on top of roofs dancing with chimney sweeps. Precisely. You're <laughs> going to sound like a native really soon. It's like, you know, I hate this. Uh, you know, He's a true Geordie. Hasn't lost his accent after 30 years in Hampstead. <laughs> it's like, oh, what, what an inspiration. I lost mine in London, you know. I, you know, I've been away for so long now. I only sound Welsh when I'm pissed, really. <laughs> oh, I'd love to hear that. Yeah, suddenly I'm basically Ruth Maddock out of Heidi High when I'm pissed. But, you know, yeah. Well, I was still in the first year at Top Valley Comprehensive and still fucking hating it. Just didn't, I didn't adopt a big school very well at all. I, I didn't like, yeah. I just didn't like anything about it. I didn't like the way the toilets stank as stale fags. I didn't like the fact that there were people about twice my size elbowing me out the way on the, the rights to the tennis court at playtime. Didn't like the fact that I couldn't call it playtime anymore and I had to call it break. Mm. And just, just fucking hated it. Yeah. Basically just thought, well, fuck this. I'll just hang this out for five years. And I became a full-on pop kid instead. I just absorbed myself in all that. I was at that stage where I was absolutely fucking inhaling issues of smash hits. Uh, and I became yeah. that kid who knew all the lyrics to all the songs. Had to know everything about every band that yeah. came along, whether I liked them or not. Yeah. I'd also acquired a transistor radio at this point, which was fucking brilliant. Because it just basically meant I could just go off on my own on my, on a, a break and just ram it in my tab for a bit. And there are certain songs, one of which comes up on this episode, where I can remember the exact spot where I was when I heard it on the radio. Yeah. And because it was a radio, you really had to strain to listen. It made you appreciate what was being played more. It's funny how we, we all romanticise hearing things out of a tinny transistor and yet we get really pissed off at the sound of teenagers playing music out of a shitty phone. And it's really just the same thing, isn't it? <laughs> so music-wise, I mean, I was I was still at that point where I was open to anything I liked the sound of. I hadn't picked a side yet. And I was also in the phase of still buying the number one single, unless it was really shit. Yeah. I just bought my first vinyl LP, which, of course, was one step beyond. That was mine as well. My first my first by a band, as opposed to, you know, film yeah, soundtracks. Yeah, yeah, it was either that or the specials. I was 11, so it was obviously going to be madness. Mm. This was the exact time when all the kids on my street suddenly turned up at my door, and they'd all just gone out and decided to get skinhead haircuts. Did they all turn up in single file, single file sort of like leaning yes. backwards, <laughs> doing a weird pelvic yes. marching, yeah. So I was toying with the idea of doing that, but then I thought, no, my mum will fucking batter me, so I didn't. Just allowed time to take its course. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, this is a time when you're starting to think about picking a side. You know, there's a lot of things out there, but part of me thinks, did I, did I fall in with the herd there? But a bigger part of me thinks, no, man, this is what I fucking liked at the time. Absolutely right, yeah. I mean, I, I picked a side. I picked the same side that you did. Mm. But perhaps also like you, I was reluctant to let go of the old mm. side. And um, and I've, I've mentioned this before, but I can actually sort of visually prove this with something I've got from that era, which is my stamp album. I, yeah, I was a stamp collector. But I've got Madness, One Step Beyond, stenciled on one side, and Abba Voulez-Vous oh, on the other. Man. So, yeah, I wasn't struggle. letting it go. and. And I, I did that thing of just buying number one as well, like, like you did. I, I even bought, uh, I guess it was a couple years earlier, but I bought uh, Three Times a Lady by the Commodores, yeah. which is like a weird thing for a sort of 10-year-old kid at the time to be buying. Mm. But yeah, I just had this idea that um, it was almost a matter of record that I had to, no pun intended, that, that I, I had to sort of preserve the records that were officially the best. Yes. And if something was number one, that meant it was officially the best. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I bought another brick in the wall. And I look back now and yeah, I think, me too. why? Yeah. Why the fuck did you do that? Oh, it's actually, it's, it's a great record. Well, yeah, yeah, it's, and it's anti-school. So, yeah, it's, it, it spoke to my heart at the time. Which was the last number one of the 70s. That's yes. uh, the one we just left behind, isn't it? Yeah. So, as is the style of late, we're going to rip open a box or two and we're going to pull out an issue of the music press from this week. And this week, I've got the enemy of January the 26th. 1980. Shall we leave through, chaps? No. Yeah. yeah go on. <laughs> on the cover, The Pretenders. In the news, the top news story, of course, is the McCartney bust. 
Enemy report that customs officials were alerted by Paul McCartney's listlessness at the airport. <laughs> and since being incarcerated, he's been allowed bread and coffee instead of rice and green tea. He can only get his thumb up to like 45 degree angles. <laughs> Meanwhile, Motown have announced a swathe of concert appearances in the UK to commemorate their 20th anniversary. Diana Ross will be coming in April. Stevie Wonder's first UK gigs in ages are being firmed up and dates for Billy Preston and Cy Rita are being set up within the month in the wake of With You I'm Born Again becoming a massive hit over here. It's currently at number two. However, Marvin Gaye's UK tour, which was supposed to have kicked off last weekend, was cancelled at short notice after his second wife ran off with Teddy Pendergrass, leaving him, quote, a physical and emotional wreck. Poor Marvin. You wouldn't think Teddy Pendergrass could run very fast, to be fair. No. But, yeah, <laughs> what we one thing or another. Elvis Costello has played a secret gig his first in ages, in a pub in Hammersmith for 300 winners of an enemy competition. After the original prize, a copy of his 1976 demo tape was withdrawn at the last minute. He dedicates accidents will happen to Paul McCartney. (laughs) Thin Lizza have announced the permanent replacement for Gary Moore. It's Snowy White, who has taken over from filling guitarist mid-year. Dex's Midnight Runners are about to start the first leg of a massive UK tour with 26 Yay. dates already lined up with more to follow. Meanwhile, the latent buzzards have reformed and Spiz Energy have changed their name to Athletico Spiz. Wasn't it actually Atletico Spiz 80? Yes. That was the full name. That's what they turned out to be, yeah. Yeah, people were quite excited about this whole new era thing, weren't mm. they? I know that Mr Spiz changes his name at the drop of a hat, yeah. but even so. Yeah. And the fabulous poodles have put out a limited edition pressing of their new LP, Think Pink, in a 24-inch square cover. Limited edition. Imagine getting that fucker back on the bus. In the interview section, well, the pretenders are given three pages and an interview with Paul Morley, who says that Brass in Pocket is going to be a great way to remember January of 1980. But James Honeyman Scott implies that the band are already worried that they're going to be turned into the next blonde. They wish. Chrissy Hind has a bit of a strop when she arrives late and realises Honeyman Scott has been talking about her behind her back, but cheers up when she realises the hotel room they've booked for the interview is en suite and she can nick a bar of soap. <laughs> She'd rather not go on Top of the Pops later that evening to mime a song she's been doing for a year, but says it's quite fun when you actually do it. Huh, what a ray of sunshine Chrissy <laughs> Hind always was. <laughs> Meanwhile, Damon Edge pops over to the enemy officers to tell Max Bell all about Chrome, the San Franciscan electronic duo he's part of, and talks about their new concept album, Room 101. Adrian Thrills meets the Body Snatchers in a pub in Camden Town and finds out that they started with an ad in the NME entitled Rude Girls Wanted to Form Band, which led to three months of heavy breathing phone calls. (laughs) She also says that some people at their gigs boo them when they play the boiler. And they're looking forward to their support slot on the forthcoming Selector Tour and putting out their debut single, Let's Do Rock Steady. Yeah, people booing the the boiler because um, the audiences actually agree with rape. They think it's brilliant and they, they mm. don't know why this, band's, this band is slagging it off. And they devote eight pages to a history of music films, including reproductions of the posters of Rock Around the Clock and Loving You. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In the single reviews, well, Charles Shaw Murray is at the controls and his single of the week is Disgracing the Family Name by Scarfish, the Chicago punk band with a cross-dressing lead singer. A supremely annoying record that would make marvellous radio made by the person least likely to be the next Debbie Harry, says CSM. It's also a thumbs up for New Adventures and their cover of Come On, and Matchbox's cover of Buzz Buzzer Diddlet, which is a seriously exuberant noise, and he also praises Love's Out to Lunch by Annette Peacock. Hey. However... It's a coat down for Loco Mosquito by Iggy Pop. Oh, God, what's the old fool up to now, says CSM. He starts off crazily intoning the opening lines of Shirley Ellis's The Clapping Song, and then the band kicks into, yes, that catchy West Indian shuffle beat. The Plastic Age by The Buggles and At The Edge by Stiff Little Fingers get a thumb at right angles, like Paul McCartney. (laughs) The former is an intriguing ditty in the best electropop vein, but if we are living in the Plastic Age, this record is part of the problem rather than the solution. While the latter is a bunch of well-meant and well-performed noise, but the song isn't deserving of all that energy. There's a ton of Scar and Two-Tone influence singles to wade through, obviously, including Spider-Man by The Acrylics, which features Roland Gift on vocals, but isn't a cover of the TV theme tune. Why the fuck didn't anybody do that? That would have been mint. Bloody hell, yeah. And Trouble by 999, but it's Chatty Chatty by Toots and the Maytals, which stand head and shoulders above everything else. Murray is exasperated by Nantucket Sleigh Ride by Quartz, which the pop-crazed youngsters know as the theme from Weekend World. (laughs) Quite why anyone, especially a heavy metal band from Brum, would want to record a note-perfect copy of Mountain's incredibly boring ode to the joys of hunting sperm whales is a matter of purest conjecture, he says. And he thanks the Jags for lending him an amp once, but slags off Woman's World for being yet another example of shaking Costello in the vein of back of my hand. we got to talk about Nantucket Sleigh Ride. I mean, he, he never appears on top of the pops, but fuck me. The theme from Weekend World, that introduced a lot of pop-crazed youngsters to the world of rock, didn't it? It did, and it's also no wonder that we all grew up in absolute terror of this kind of apocalyptic-seeming adult world that we were growing into. Mm. It's absolutely terrifying. I always used to like to imagine Len Murray and Jim Pryor and Brian Walden just headbanging at the beginning, (laughs) just as the credits ended. In the LP review section, the lead review is given over to Adventures in Utopia by Utopia which is Todd Rundgren's side project, and Paul Rambrell doesn't know what to make of it, as it's a soundtrack for a video that might be coming out on video disc, but no one's sure yet, but it sounds nice. Graham Locke gets stuck into Stations of the Crass by Crass, and spends half of his review coating them down for being set in their ways, wasting their time having a go at the music press, and for thinking it's still 1977. The Mafia Stole My Guitar, the last LP Alex Harvey released in his lifetime, is an uneven but likeable return to form, according to Paul DeNoyer, but UFO are dismissed by Peter Skin as mediocre alchemists, and their new LP, No Place to Run, sounds like the progressive nonsense you used to hear in college halls of the early 70s. Useless, feeble, ordinary, goes the headline. Think about it. Is that really the best they could do? (laughs) In the gig guide, well, David could have seen Phil Daniels and the Cross at the Clapham 101 Club, Susie Quattro at the venue, Dex's Midnight Runners at the Music Machine, Def Leppard at the Marquee, or Barclay James Harvest at Hammersmith Odeon, but probably didn't. (laughs) Taylor could have seen the clinic at the Mercat Cross, UFO at the Birmingham Odeon, Gang of Four and the O'Pears at Birmingham University, or the Stains at the Sheldon Club. 
Neil could have seen UB40 at the Lafayette in Wolverhampton. The details at Lanchester Pole, UFO again at Coventry Theatre or gangsters at the City Centre Club. Mm, Gangsters, I wonder what they sounded like. (laughs) Sarah could have seen the Piranhas at Hull University. Tom Robinson's Sector 27 at the Limit in Sheffield, Toya at Doncaster Institute, The Clash at Sheffield Top Rank, or Oral Sex in the Bradford College Vaults Bar. <laughs> Al could have seen Ossie Beeser at Leicester Polytechnic, The Drug Squad at the Hearty Goodfellow, Renaissance at Loughborough University, The Ronnie Lane Band at Trent Pollet, or Dave Barry at the Radcliffe on Trent British Legion. Simon could have seen UB40 at Carmarthen College and fuck all else, man. The Welsh are being poorly represented in the music press at the moment, yeah, aren't they, Simon? I'm pretty impressed that a well-known band came to Wales at all mm. in that era, so fair dues. Yeah. Good old UB40. In the letters page, the main topic of conversation is Charles Shaw Murray's recent think piece on what David Bowie will get up to in the 80s, where he speculated that his fan base was slipping away to his number one clone, Gary Newman. CB Advisory Services believes that if Newman is so good at imitating Bowie, Bowie should imitate Newman and see how he likes it. While Callum R. Benny of Falkirk believes that Newman's audience are all kids and Bowie needs to get his arse in gear pronto. Meanwhile, John of Harpenden has a go at Paul Morley for slagging off the jam a year ago, but really liking them now, and taking Ian Penman to task for being a fan of Walking on the Moon after he called Roxanne Papier Macho. Yeah, imagine liking one record by a group and not liking another one. Yeah. I know. Call, you, call yourself a critic. Disgruntled of David has a go at Paul Weller for saying that England doesn't have any real ethnic music and demands that he goes to his local folk club to check out some mouth music from the Isle of Barra. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can you imagine Paul Weller's folk direction in the Fucking 80s? Someone complains about the level of slaggings off that the National Front and British Movement get on the enemy letters page Ugh. and is just about to ask for a right of reply when their letter is cut short. <laughs> Mike Thrimble of Cambridge calls out Lynn Hanna for, quote, coming all peculiar at the sight of Sting and applauding the high level of female attendance at a police gig and then claiming that the audience at a blondie gig was full of dirty old men who've only come to look it's different for girls i suppose he says topically (laughs) the enemy readers poll of 1979 has been and gone and jimmy o'neill of the undertones writes to thank people for voting him the 10th best songwriter of the year (laughs) even though the subs got his name wrong they also put him down as jimmy o'neill of londonderry as well maybe he wrote that though you don't know do you and Richard Hoff of London asks, the next time you get an assignment to interview Supertramp, please let me go so I can tell the smug, paranoid bastards where to get off. <laughs> 52 pages, 20p. I never knew there was so much in it. Utterly fucking horrible. Oh, well played, yes. Yeah. So, what's on telly this week? Well, BBC One kicks off at 9am with a schools and colleges splurge until 20 past 12 when it shuts down for 25 minutes. Then it's the midday news, Pebble Mill at 1, Heads and Tails, You and Me, more schools and colleges palaver, and then it closes down at 3 for 55 minutes. Then it's regional news in your area, Play School, Deputy Dog... Kenneth Williams reading the dribblesome teapots in Jackanora and Brian Truman hosting the second semi-final of Screen Test. Then after John Craven's news round, Tina Heath cleaned some oil off some birds at the RSPCA Animal Centre in Little Creech in Blue Peter. After the news, nationwide focus on the 1980 British Rock and Pop Awards with Annie Nightingale and Pig Wanker General looking at the nominees for the Nationwide Golden Award, a trophy for the artist who, in the opinion of nationwide viewers, displayed the most all-round family appeal in the last year. It was won by... Cliff Richard. Cliff Richard, who couldn't yes. collect it because he was in South Africa at the time. <laughs> of course he was, Max. And yeah. then 
It's what else? <laughs> Tomorrow's World. Will Michael Rod, Kieran Prenderville and Judith Han look at the problems of the 80s and how <laughs> technology is going to make everything brilliant and skill and mint? BBC Two commences at 11 with Carol Chell in Play School. Really? And then they close down for five hours, coming back hard at 4.25 with some sexy, sexy open university action. Then it's the Laurel and Hardy film, Going Bye Bye, followed by the 1942 Will Hay film, The Black Sheep of Whitehall, really? followed by the mid-evening news. They're currently five minutes into Newsweek, the show that investigates a current issue in context and close up it says here in radio times boring itv start at 9 30 with three hours of schools programs followed by gardening today with cyril fletcher the news at one regional news in your area then it's together a brand new soap opera by southern tv about a housing association in southampton which was the first acting gig for sarah green that's brilliant right if anyone wants this i've got every episode of that on my hard drive um, oh, you're charming was, the pants off me, Mr. Parks. This is how I get women back to my flat. It's, <laughs> it was repeated recently on Talking Pictures channel. Um, and, yeah, it's phenomenal. I've got well, every episode apart from the Lost Ones, um, which uh, Southern mm. TV just, you know, put in a drawer and forgot about. Uh, it's it's a, a, a slow build, that series, but as you watch these episodes <laughs> one after the other... It, you really can't get out. You, you just get sucked in. You can't stop watching it. Nothing happens. It's all done on about three sets. No location filming. It's like there's been a nuclear holocaust and these <laughs> ragged survivors of humanity are just huddled together in this airless, slightly too warm, glade-scented building where they live <laughs> with its sort of communal room with the, the sort of Urkel chairs in it. Um, this building which nobody ever leaves or enters. And it's the Hotel California of Southampton, then. The real interest is watching the scriptwriters' agonised attempts to, to stir up this inert mixture and try mm. to make it fizz, which it never does. Yeah. But the effect is... One of which was Phil Redmond, I believe. Yeah, and Adele Rose and, you know, names you would have heard. But it's, yeah, the the longer it goes on, just episode after episode passing and your life slowly slipping away, it becomes, <laughs> it becomes really hypnotic. Then it's Afternoon Plus, General Hospital, Looks Familiar, The Jetsons... Project UFO, the news at 5.45, regional news in your area, then Raymond Hillier, the latest guest at the Crossroads Motel, is seen acting suspiciously. At 7 o'clock it's Emmerdale Farm and they've just started Burnet, the comedy show starring Bernie Winters with special guests Terry Scott, June Whitfield and Schnorbitz. What, working solo? Yes. Schnorbitz was in reception. He's quite an easy book in for Bernie Winters. So, pop craze youngsters, we have laid the table for this episode of Top of the Pop. So, why not come and join us in the next part and we'll get our hands shoved right up it. <laughs> Chart music. Greatbigowl.com 